Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Welcome back in Big Six One Zero Four Five The Zone. Yes, this is hour number thirteen of me on the air today. If you've listened to The Zone, you have heard me. I am Jason Martin, host of the Big Six and the editor in chief and the lead writer One Zero Four Five The Zone dot com's Big Six blog. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Our telephone number six one five seven three seven One Zero Four Five. Joined right now by a guy that I met on the weekends when neither one of us was doing a whole heck of a lot. Quite frankly. He was looking for something. I was looking for something. He would come in. We'd talk about NASCAR. Brandon would be in the studio. David Reed would be in the studio. We all wondered, you know, how this whole thing was going to shake out. And honestly, I wanted to have him on, and we're going to have him on quite a bit because I feel like kind of spiritual brothers with you, Trey. This is Trey Wallace. He's down in Knoxville. He has a brand-new radio show down there on Fox called The Optional. You know about the Reed Optional and all the work that he's done covering the SEC and grinding hard over the last few years, but your new show started about a week and a half ago. This is the end of my third week. Seems like we both had the news kind of break at almost the exact same time, so I kind of feel like I'm in it for you and you're in it for me. No, I'm telling you, man, when we, when we first met up there at the Cumulus Studios, gosh, it's been years ago, and who who would have thought that, that we'd be where we're at right now? And it's just hard work and dedication, especially the people along the way that, that have gotten us here. And it's been one heck of a ride. And, and I'm telling you, uh, you know, you went on about three weeks ago. I went on last Monday. So it's I just wrapped up uh, my second week full-time on the air. And, and, and it's been a blessing, man. I think we're both in great situations. You're in Nashville. I'm in Knoxville. Uh, getting the heat of Tennessee fans. So everything just worked out right. Yeah, no doubt. So speaking of Knoxville, we're going to talk all about the SEC here uh, over the next couple of segments. But you had Ricky Steamboat on today. You know, of course, I worked ah. in pro wrestling for a long time and Squared Circle Radio. Yeah. You had Steamboat. Steamboat's become quite the Vols fan. I saw tweets. Of course, I haven't had time because I've been on the air all day to listen to it yet. But did he get emotional? talking about the Vols on the air with you earlier today? Yeah, Jason, it was, man, it was weird. You know, so I reached out to him, and I, I saw the Twitter pics and all that of him in Tennessee gear. And honestly, I kind of just thought, okay, maybe he's just playing up a fan base. You know, maybe he's just trying to, you know, Ricky's a great guy, but, you know, maybe he's just trying to do that thing, wear a shirt every now and then. But <laughs> we got him on the air today, man, and he he started talking about, how he got involved with, with Tennessee football and started liking it when he met his new wife uh, about three years ago. He started choking up when he was talking about Needland Stadium and, and all the, the fan base, uh, the Tennessee fan base from all over the state and everywhere. He got emotional, and it was – I was like, wow, I was taken aback because then he said, you know, you know, I had to go back and do my research on Tennessee football, and, and I was researching the – the 86 Miami versus Tennessee Sugar Bowl wow. game. And that, I'm literally, my mic is cut. So I'm thinking, 
to myself and I look at my co-host Jason Hall, I'm like, this is unbelievable. Like, this is crazy. And he just starts naming and naming. And, you know, I'm telling you, it was one of the coolest experiences I've had in broadcasting, not because just because it's it's you know, Ricky the, the Dragon, but he comes on and he's able to talk football with us. It, he even named the orange and white game score. He was like, yeah, you know, Jared Garantano went out there and kicked the other team's tail, and, uh, you know, they won like 45-7. to 7. So I guess he did something, right? And I was like, this, profession, this, this legend just named a spring game score. And I was like, wow, okay, this is really cool. Well, if you know anything about Steamboat, you know he doesn't do it unless he's the best at it. I mean, he's one of the great baby faces of all time, a dude that always called it in the ring. Incredibly smart guy. So I guess if he's going to take on Tennessee, he's also going to try to become the best fan in the history of Tennessee in short order, and it seems like he, he, he might have a shot to do that. Speaking of Tennessee... Jeremy Pruitt was kind of the story at SEC Media Days. I'm rolling my eyes just thinking about Aaron Murray and, yeah. and Pollock and all of the things that kind of went on down there. You being close to that situation, and I'm sure taking phone calls from people in Knoxville all week, what has been their response to all of what has happened? Because at least from our vantage point here at The Zone, Jeremy Pruitt equated himself awfully well and sounded a lot more the part than maybe he did two months ago. He, when, when the comments came out, so here's the first thing. We all know that these head coaches, they are prepared by their SIDs. Uh, Tennessee's is Zach Stipe, a really good guy. And, uh, you know, so they know what they're getting into. But then you have somebody kind of spout off at the mouth the morning of, and you just, you're kind of like, ah, okay, how do we approach this? But I thought when he got up on stage, I thought he handled it extremely well. I thought he was a presence in the room. He represented Tennessee well, but also he didn't he didn't let it slip either. What Aaron Murray said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing. He went along the lines of, "Look, I was a kindergarten teacher 15 years ago, and I must have been nice to somebody if I'm here where I'm at now." So he took those comments and stride. I'm sure on the inside he was pretty frustrated uh, because to me. They were kind of just out of nowhere pot shots, and, and and they were delivered. And also David Pollock, you know, they were delivered without context. My biggest thing in life is if you're going to come out and you're going to bash somebody, and you're going to say how much they've done wrong, you better bring some context to it. You better give me a story or two. You better tell me what's going on because other than that, it just sounds like sour grapes and just sounds like you just don't like the guy. Period. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I agree. What do you explain to me? Everybody has said this. Everybody that's at least defending Aaron Murray and Pollock's statements keeps saying, we all know the stories. And I was talking to Chad Withrow earlier today, and we both said, we don't know the stories. Like, we haven't heard these stories before. What are these stories? Give me some specifics. It's all real broad about him being potentially disrespectful to Mark Richt here and there, but no one has actually come out and come up with concrete examples that could actually defend these points. Well, also not even just a, a, a maybe a former Georgia player that wasn't a starter, that's not on CBS Sports Network, that's not on ESPN, mm-hmm. on college game day coverage. Give me somebody that's been around these guys. Because, uh, I mean, Nick Saban had, had great things to say about Jeremy Pruitt. Other players have come out and, and, and spoke up for Pruitt and, and what it was like in Georgia. Look, Jeremy Pruitt's a hard-nosed coach. So I, I'm sure there's going to be uh, maybe some back and forth between coaches. But if that's not happening at your school, then you're not trying hard enough. So I, 
look, I, I don't take it uh, much stock into what was said because I think, in, in all honesty, it was just it was just a shot. Because here's my thing: Why is David Pollock coming out and tweeting all these congratulations and saying it's a great fit for Tennessee and he's going to do wonderful things? Well, he said that back in December. So why didn't David Pollock come out and slam Jeremy Pruitt back in December when the job was taken and then come out and say then maybe he's not good enough for the job uh, because how he disrespectful he was to Mark Rick? I don't understand it. Uh, I've talked with a bunch of different media members. They don't understand it. And if you heard Paul Feinbaum, he absolutely yeah. destroyed Aaron Murray. And he should have. And then the Aaron Murray part, to me, there's a couple of things that are weird because when the audio first came out and when you heard the answer initially – it sure seemed like Aaron Murray was talking like he was there. And he wasn't right. there. He was not starting in the NFL, but those two guys passed like ships in the night. So whatever he got, he got from other people, but it sounded firsthand. And the other thing, and I threw this out a couple of different times, and look, it may not be true, but I think it's worthy of mention if you're going to take any credence to what Aaron Murray is saying. Aaron Murray has no more career in the NFL. He's now with CBS, and he's trying to become whatever it is that he's trying to become in the media. What better way than to get his name out there and have people talking about him for three or four days by making some kind of half-educated take, perhaps, on secondhand information that just gets him in a bunch of bylines? Absolutely. And, that's what, and Jason, you know Radio Row. You've been all over oh, the yeah. country. You've been to big-time events. You know these guys come out of the woodwork to get their name mentioned to get on these radio shows. I mean, really, who wants to talk to Aaron Murray? And I'm not, I'm not, when I say that, I'm not hating on the guy. I'm being realistic from a media standpoint. Like, why do we need the opinion of Aaron Murray? He's not technically on these national CBS broadcasts. I haven't heard uh, Aaron Murray on any kind of radio shows in the last two or three years. Like, what's the big deal with Aaron Murray? You know, so I look at it as in a way... And again, I was, I'm not I'm not hating on the young man, but what I am saying is, there was time to talk about this six months ago. You want to go to SEC media days when you know there's going to be over 50 radio stations there, and that's when you want to start running your mouth. I don't respect it. I don't agree with it. He should have done it back in December and not waited until July. And then there's also the the point that let's say Jeremy Pruitt was semi disrespectful to Mark Richt. And maybe it was taken as disrespect when in actuality it was Pruitt's a real disciplinarian. And Mark Richt certainly was a player's coach, first, second, and third. He was not a disciplinarian in any way. It was a storyline about Georgia for seemingly forever. It's one of the reasons I think maybe he finally wore out his welcome because Georgia was not going to win a championship under that kind of regime. So is it that bad? That's one thing we've discussed all day on the radio station and I think all week long is if he was sort of disrespectful because he was more of, more stern and cared more about the discipline and the workout regimes and, and being serious and all of those things, is that necessarily a bad thing, especially considering Gary Danielson and others saying, look, Butch Jones was soft and those practices were hard to watch? No, because as a defensive coordinator, you know, that that's kind of – Kind of what you expect, right? I mean, yeah. if you're an SEC defensive coordinator and you're an ACC defensive coordinator for two national championship teams at Florida State and at Alabama, you want your you want your D coordinator to be a tough guy. You want your D coordinator to not let anybody slack around the program. You know, th- these are the guys in the trenches. They're popping pads. They're hitting each other every day. You know, I don't I don't expect the defensive coordinator to to be somebody that's going to serve ice cream. 
you know, I want my guy to be hardcore and to be tough. Uh, but you also understand you have to be a people person as well. But here's the thing that a lot of people maybe overlook is, as a D coordinator, you don't have to talk to the media a lot. You know, you don't have to – I think you maybe do it twice during the football season. You don't have to if you don't want to. And, and the big thing that comes out of that is is that uh, maybe the pot shots weren't coming out. Maybe things uh, – maybe, maybe look, maybe they didn't get along too terribly much at, at Georgia. But you know what? Nothing really substantial came out of it. And, and the biggest thing I take away from Pollock and Aaron Murray – and I put this out there the other day when it happened, Jason. What if, let's just say, for instance, and I know this is a long shot. It's probably not going to happen. Let's say Tennessee's four, 3-0 and and Florida's 3-0 and when the game comes around at the end of September and college game day decides, well, there's nothing else going on. Let's go to Knoxville and just cover this game. Two new head coaches at you know, two different schools. How is anybody going to take David Pollock seriously if he's trying to cover Tennessee now and Jeremy Pruitt? I'm not sure anybody should have been taking David Pollock seriously anyway. If you want my you honest gotta, opinion about it. But, yeah, I know right. what you're saying. You know, in our business, if you're going to come out and bash somebody, well, okay, be prepared for the repercussions. And it's like, man, I mean, why why do this now? You know, why, you know. so it is what it is, and I'm sure they're, they're second-guessing why they did that. But Aaron Murray, well, he'll be out of the spotlight by Monday, and there probably won't be any much more to it. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. We're going to come back on the other side and talk a little bit more with Trey Wallace about the rest of the SEC. If you're in Knoxville, the optional was the name of the new radio program doing a fantastic job. When you get Ricky Steamboat to tear up talking about Tennessee Volunteers football, you're doing something right. So are we. We'll be right back here on The Zone with the Big Six. In Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Happy Friday. Hopefully it's been good. If you've been listening to The Zone today, you've heard basically every take that I have left. There's not much left in the chamber. So I'm going to continue to talk SEC football with my main man, Trey Wallace. He's got the optional. That's a new radio show down in Knoxville. He used to be in this very same building with me when both of us were questioning what our futures were going to be. And now here I am interviewing him. Maybe someday I'll be on his show. Who knows? But we talked a lot of Tennessee we didn't talk about him on the field. We talked about everything else, unfortunately, there in that first segment because that was the news and Media Day, which usually presents almost nothing of note, at least gave us a chance to talk about that. But let's stay in the East a little while here and talk about, look, Georgia is going to win the East unless they find a way to lose it, which I don't think that they're going to. But who do you think finishes in second place? Because I think you could make an argument. South Carolina is a trendy pick. That's who I would pick. But there are some other teams there that could cause them problems, and maybe, just maybe, South Carolina was better last year than they were supposed to be and might regress a little bit. How f- And you look at maybe Florida as one of those teams. They don't have a quarterback, but I really like Dan Mullen. No, I agree. I thought Mullen was probably the best offseason hire when it comes to the the SEC this year overall. I just I, I like Dan Mullen. Uh, but you look at the SEC East, and I tell you, the, the second week of the season, Georgia's going to mm-hmm. travel to South Carolina, and that is going to be a game right there where if South Carolina can pull the upset at home and, and if they can get the win and technically go up two games in the SEC East because of the tiebreaker, then watch out. 
because I, I like the, the talent that South Carolina has on the outside. I like the talent they have at quarterback position with Jake Bentley. Uh, South Carolina is a team that you have to keep an eye on because here's what worries me about Georgia. And I said this last week, and uh, you know I got some feedback from it, but Georgia worries me because there's two early, I call them trap games. South Carolina, to me, that's going to be a big stage-type trap game. And then they're going to have to go to Columbia, Missouri, and face that high-powered offense of Drew Locke. Now Derek Dooley's the OC. Yeah, let's so let's stop right. Yeah, let's stop right there. Do you do, do you think uh, Derek Dooley is not going to screw up the Missouri offense? I keep seeing that I, he's going to tweak it so that he can get Drew Locke ready for the pro game. That scares me a little bit if I'm a Missouri fan based on how he played last year. Look, uh, Drew Locke was 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 nominated the preseason All SEC quarterback today. I, I think look, Drew Locke is Drew Locke. The kid's going to sling the ball around. He's going to throw it. 38 to 45 times per game. I hope Derek Dooley does not do anything to screw that up. Just let the young man just look, run the offense they ran last year, but throw in a couple of wrinkles or maybe some more tight end work or more fades. I don't care, but don't screw with Drew Locke because that, that offense has got the potential to be very good this year. Now their defense is going to have to keep up, but that's another little trap game. I like to call it for Georgia where they can't look ahead to anything you know, you have to stay focused going to Columbia, Missouri, and we know that uh, that the Tigers can put up some points. So, in the long term, you know, Georgia's the team. Florida's still working on their quarterback situation. Uh, the offense, look, coming into the last season, the 2017 season, everybody thought that this offensive line was going to be the key that was going to carry Florida uh, into a potential battle with Georgia for the SEC East, and it just faltered. They just kind of fell apart. And there were a lot of things wrong with last season's Florida team. Uh, I think they might have uh, probably the second-best running back trio uh, in the SEC East this year. Uh, I think Georgia's right up there with their running backs. I think it's going to be something where Florida, it's going to take Mullen, you know, about three years. But I, but I think they start fighting. And here's the thing in their quarterback situation. I like Felipe Franks. I just think he's got to get better at reading defenses. Now, the QB for the future is Emory Jones. Mm-hmm. But for right now, I think they're going to have to go with Felipe Franks and what he brings. He, look, he brings experience. It might not be the best experience in the world, but he did have some decent ones last year. It's just you got to go who you're comfortable with and who you think can, can at least manage the team. And, and right now, I would probably have to say that's Felipe Franks. Two teams that leave me doing a Dwayne Johnson eyebrow constantly oh, goodness. is Kentucky and Vanderbilt because they're two yeah. teams that it seems like it's okay to be mediocre. And it's not even necessarily the fans that believe that, but the administration's like Mark Stoops has been there for five years in his best defense, average giving up 394 yards a game. Mark Stoops, like that's not the way that should go. I know that football has changed to some extent. Joker Phillips got three years, and his worst defense gave up 391. So there's a right. substantial difference there. Kentucky's defense was putrid last year. They scored a ton of points, but they gave up at least 28 in six ball games. You can't do that. But I keep looking at these schools, and I say, are you okay forever just winning five or six games a year? Like at some point, if you're Vanderbilt and you saw at least if you're in the SEC – you should be able to win six games. You saw a regression from Derek Mason last year. I personally believe if he doesn't win seven, 
he should be gone. And I don't think he has the job if they don't beat Tennessee the last two years. And one of those wins is not impressive in the least. I, I agree. I agree with you on the Kentucky part. I think that Stoops, even though they've gone seven and six and they've made some bowl games, if you're if you're content with being a basketball school and not really worried about football and making runs toward the SEC East championship, then by God, keep him at Kentucky. Then, if that's kind of what you want, then roll with it. Here's the flip side with Vanderbilt. We've seen Vanderbilt win eight to nine games. Yes, we have. Vanderbilt fans have tasted that before, and it's actually been recently with James Franklin. So, and look, I talk to a lot of Vanderbilt fans, and they want it. They want to be that eight to nine win uh, type team. I don't look. Derek Mason is a great guy. He's a great defensive coordinator. I just don't know after everything we've gone through here at Vanderbilt. If if he's going to be the right guy, because I don't. If it, look, I've talked to a bunch of people. If you don't win six games next year and get to a bowl game, it's probably going to be the last time you see Derek Mason at Vanderbilt. But but my big thing with them is they've got talent at quarterback. They got a quarter that quarterback that's probably going to be uh, probably an NFL starter. Oh yeah, well, not, if not a starter, he's definitely got a career in the right. NFL. Yeah, he'll be a career backup if he's not a starter, and he'll get his opportunities. If they had an offensive line that could really protect him next season, I, I, I would say Vanderbilt could win seven games. But to me, you know, Vanderbilt's going to be Vanderbilt right now. I don't like how they're picked seventh in the projections every year just because it's Vanderbilt. I mean, every year it seems like they're just predicted last just because it's Vanderbilt. But when you really look at it, I don't think they finished last in the conference in a few years. And what really stands out to me is that it's not the old Vanderbilt like in the early 90s and, and early 2000s before Franklin. It's kind of a rejuvenated bunch. Derek Mason has got them going. But, but I think that they just have to go find themselves an offensive-minded coach. And, and, and also when I look at it, Derek Mason brought up the stadium talk. Let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. I, 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 have, I lived in Nashville for five years yep. before I just moved here to Knoxville. And I've been hearing about that stadium talk every day for the last five and a half and it's years. Been, and it's been good talk. It's been talk that's deserved. It. That stadium needs to be. I mean, they right. need new facilities. But that doesn't mean that doesn't give me any confidence that it's going to happen. They deserve it. But here's the thing. A lot of people, I don't think a lot of people quite understand it. Maybe if some get on some message boards and they read some stuff, and, and that's uh, that's cool. But their big-time donors at the University of Vanderbilt kind of took a step back about a year and a half ago and told David Williams, hey, look, if you want to build a football stadium, if you want our money, you got to go out and find money on your own first. Once you go out and find money on your own, then we'll come in with what's needed to get a stadium done. But the problem is there's not any fundraising at Vanderbilt. And, and I'm not hating on David Williams, but I'm just being honest here. You know, Tim Corbin can go out and raise all the money in the world he wants for that baseball program, and he does that by himself. The problem is the athletic director at Vanderbilt – doesn't want to go out and raise money for stadium renovations. And then last year, that puff piece comes out that says, oh, you know, look, we're going to get the stadium done and, you know, we're going to raise the money for it. And then three weeks later, the discussion was, well, I shouldn't have spoke, probably spoke a little bit too early. You know, Zeppo's the chancellor comes out and kind of shoots it down. So it's like, which one is it? Stop feeding your fans a bunch of mess and just tell the truth. If you can't afford it because you can't raise it, Tell the fans the truth. And, and I really think they messed up 
by completely shutting down John Ingram in that MLS stadium thing. Because if they, if they, I think it would have been cool to put Vanderbilt there for a couple of years, renovate Dudley Field, and have things play out that way. Because when your biggest booster, John Ingram, who is starting an MLS team and building an MLS stadium, says go out and find money elsewhere, then I'll come help out, that should tell you immediately that you've got problems, that he moved on from college football the MLS, Jason. Yeah, Trey Wallace with us here on the Big Six, and you know we had Clay Travis on earlier, and he, of course, is a, a Vanderbilt graduate, and he was talking about, look, the law school is important, and the science department, and a lot of folks inside Vanderbilt will want the money to go to those places. And my answer to that, there's two, there's two things here. One problem for Vanderbilt is I've seen Duke, Stanford, and Northwestern all win in football. I've seen Absolutely. them all turn it around and win, and all of them are fantastic schools. Very comparable in many ways to what Vanderbilt offers. To me, that is that is maybe one of the biggest questions about the entire thing is, if other schools can do this, then if you're not willing to, if all that money needs to go into these other things, and look, I totally agree. If, the, if you want to put the money there, that's fine. Then just go ahead and cancel football or get into D3 and just stop. Like, Stop right. trying to be in the SEC if you're not going to actually behave like an SEC program. Well, look what Northwestern just did. Northwestern just built a state-of-the-art yeah, indoor facility on the lake. And, and and the way that they put in money towards their football program, hell, Jason, my, my alma mater, South Alabama, you know, we just approved funding for a new stadium down there. I mean, it's going to be a 28,000-seat stadium on campus. Brand-new facility is going to be able to host the Senior Bowl. It's going to be able to host whatever name they want to call it, either the GoDaddy or the Dollar General or whatever you want to call a bowl game down in Mobile. But they put in the effort, and they're raising money on their own. You can't tell me there's not enough people around Vanderbilt Athletics that love the school, love the basketball program, love the football program, that they can't raise enough money and then for – for big-time donors to come in and match it. I just don't buy it because what we heard at SEC Media Days and from Coach Derek Mason was is that we need a new stadium. We've got to get a new stadium. Vanderbilt's going to need it. Unfortunately, I don't think Derek Mason's going to be around long enough for, for renovations to happen at Vanderbilt because he's not going to be there for the next 10 years. So they've got a problem. They've got to fix it because they're about to do some things with the basketball program that are going to really surprise some folks. And I think you're going to see a lot more focus on what Bryce Drew and them are doing on West End mm-hmm. compared to what's going on with the football program. And to me, to me, it blows my mind. I get that they can't get 10,000 to 15,000 people per game, but I'm telling you, if you, if you renovated that place and you built it up nice, uh, you get 20,000 people a game. Hell, it's Nashville. It's college football. Yeah, and you don't need a 60,000-seat stadium. You need a really no, nice You need a really nice 30,000 or 25,000-seat stadium that makes it look like the right kind of atmosphere. There's nothing worse than a giant stadium that's one-third full, and that happens yeah, ex- a lot. Exactly. Go put a nice state-of-the-art, nice new stadium just on West End. Be about, you know, like you said, about 30,000 seats. Um you're going to get the same amount of tickets. You're going to give about six thousand those tickets to visitors' fans, which is uh, which is allotted from the SEC, which is in the bylaws, and and then you just go from there. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can do this, and I'm telling, and I say this a lot, but if the University of South Alabama can raise monies for a brand new, you know, seventy million dollar stadium, what in the world is holding Vanderbilt University back? 
No, I agree. We got one more segment coming up on the other side. We'll finish the week with Trey Wallace. We haven't talked at all about the SEC West. We'll do that next. This is Big Six on 1045 The Zone. Final segment of the week, Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter, at jmartzone. Been talking with my guy, Trey Wallace. His show is The Optional. It's in Knoxville on Fox Radio down there. He used to be in this building with me. Trey, what's your Twitter feed? Is it is it at Trey Wallace underscore? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's at Trey Wallace underscore. I tried to find just at Trey Wallace. Yeah, yeah. I see that's the trend nowadays, and I had to go... You know, I DM'd a guy who had one follower and had yes. tweeted in three years, but um, it is what it is. I'm not going to get blackmailed by a robot. So. Yeah, at Jmart uh, and at Jason Martin, we're both gone. Nobody's tweeted this decade from either one right. of them. That's so painful. <laughs> it's just like, why can't Twitter get me this name? But that's not how it works. I hate that you have the underscore. That just that breaks my heart for you. That's that's really really sad. So we talked about Derek Mason and whether or not. He could be the head coach of Vanderbilt. One guy I've been very, very bullish on a couple of different things uh, regarding the SEC West. One is I think Jimbo Fisher is overrated. But the bigger thing is I don't think Ed Ogeron is a head coach. I think Ed Ogeron is a great coordinator that is over his head, that has an LSU team that may go eight. and I, I don't know if they win eight games. They may be seven and five this season outside of the top 25. I do not think that was a good hire when it happened. And I think that it's going to be short term. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong, and I think I think LSU got they got nervous. You remember how it all went down uh, a couple of years ago when when LSU thought they had a coach. It was during the Texas A&M game. They thought they had Tom Herman, ESPN. Yeah. They sent a reporter up there to the Joe Oliva's uh, box, and they tried to get you know uh, an answer. And all of a sudden, you know, we find out two hours later, Tom Herman signs with Texas. And I kind of think they just they tripped out a little bit. Here's the thing: LSU had a chance to Jimbo Fisher two years ago. Uh, two and a half years ago, and that kind of look that that kind of went to the wayside. You see where Jimbo's at mm-hmm. now, but I just look. A lot of people are out there projecting LSU at, at maybe five wins on the season, and I, <laughs> and I said this today on my radio show, and, and I'll say it again: if LSU finishes five or worse in the SEC West this year, go ahead and, and get the buyout ready for Ed Orgeron because that's just not acceptable. And the big thing to me that hasn't been acceptable for LSU football over the past, since Mettenberger, is that they can't figure out the quarterback position. Why is LSU football having to go out and get a grad transfer from Ohio State and put their whole season on his back? LSU football is relying on Joe Burrow to come in there and save them this season. The only thing I've seen out of Joe Burrow is some spring game film. I just and that, but I'm not hating on Burrow. I'm hating on the fact that they cannot get a quarterback in there that they trust. And a lot of it has to do with what happened last year as well, where Ed Orgeron tried to dip his hand into Matt Canada's offense. They didn't see eye to eye, and then Ed Orgeron goes on SEC Network and wants to start throwing shade at Matt Canada. And I'm sure Canada's chilling with his 1.8 million dollar buyout, just hanging out and laughing. But I, I don't understand it. I, Ed Orgeron is a he's a fun guy. He is a motivator. He is a defensive minded coach. Uh, but head coach, no, I, I don't. I don't think that is in his his category of where he's going to be at after you know this season. I just 
I look at the LSU team, I see so many losses on their schedule that, to be honest, Jason, they shouldn't be losses. And that's the problem. We're talking about LSU football right. here. You know, that that's the big you know, I, I think people have lost that over the last few years that LSU football is just a it's a sleeping tiger waiting to roar. And, and that's the problem that we have right now. I hate it because if LSU, I mean, let's be let's be real on this point too. If LSU had a decent quarterback in the last four to five years, they probably have a national championship. They probably have a national championship. Just because of the talent at running back, offensive line, wide receiver, defense they had. And look, the coaching it is what it is, but but you can't help to look past the fact that, that they've just been killed uh, when it comes to that position, the play calling, and and I don't get it. And I hope the next guy they have coming in, which is probably going to be your boy Lane Kiffin, mm-hmm. that would be sure nice. Um, I know he'll get it. He'll understand it real yeah. quick, and he'll get past happy down there. Yeah, and his offense is so much fun to watch anyway. Ole Miss is a team. I was talking to Chris Lowe about this earlier today. Every week for them, they're just going to be a spoiler because obviously they're not going to be playing in a bowl <laughs> this year. But that is a team that's going to score a lot of points. They have some great wide receivers. That offense is absolutely stacked. I look at them and I'm just like, if I am any other team in the SEC, that is the last team that I want to see on Saturday. Every weekend is going to be a bowl game outside yes. of Oxford. Tamu, the quarterback. I'm I'm telling you this this team is going to be a lot of fun to watch. You know what? And I have you know I asked this question too. If Shea Patterson was still at Ole Miss, is he the starting quarterback right now? Yeah, that's a really because, good question. Right. I mean that you have to think about that. The way Tamu came on the last year, and I, I look at this Ole Miss team, and I think Matt Luke has got himself a very nice situation where the players that are there, you know, they've bought him because they haven't left. They're going to go into this season. And, and they're going to try to spoil everybody. They're going to try to spoil Bama, you know, and Mississippi State. That that last game of the season against Mississippi State, I mean, my goodness, with nothing else to play for, I, I feel bad for the Bulldogs, who I like this year. I, I'm excited to see what comes out of Oxford this year because all it's going to do is lead us into next season, you know, the 2019 season. And, and I think Matt Luke has inherited a very talented bunch, and, and it's just too bad that they're on this postseason ban. It really is because I could see this team, you know, possibly winning seven games and, and making a trip to the Gator Bowl or something like that. So you, you hate to see that, but I promise you they're, they're going to go into this season uh, kind of like Ohio State did a few years back when, when they couldn't go to a postseason and just play, you know, uh, just play all out every weekend and, and put on a show. Ten years, $75 million. Jimbo oh, Fisher. <laughs> And they got rid of a guy in Kevin Sutherland that won a lot of football games, didn't win enough, and he was kind of trending in the in the wrong direction. So I can understand why the change was made. But I have said and been on record on this program on multiple occasions already within the first three weeks that I think Jimbo Fisher is a little bit overrated. Overrated doesn't mean I don't think he's a head coach. I think he's really good. I just don't know that he's as good as Texas A&M thinks he does. And it seems like if you're paying that guy that much money, you're not paying him to win one more game than Kevin Sumlin did. You're not paying him to win two more games. He either wins a national championship or it's going to turn out to be a failure. We asked a question today. We, we, we said, you know, what? how many years do you give Jimbo Fisher, who's going to be making over $7.5 million a year, how many years do you give him to make the college football playoff? 
And, and, and I said three years. You know, I, 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 when you're making that much money and you're king of the castle in Texas, you know, right there, you know, I guess, you know, the Longhorns and, and the Aggies are kind of neck and neck. I guess the brand-wise, Longhorns will always stand out more than Aggies. But you're Jimbo Fisher. You come in, you leave Florida State. You had the opportunity to get in the SEC before, and, you know, now you're in College Station with – uh, Texas A&M's program never had a problem until it got to November. You know, that was the big thing with, with A&M is that, you know, they look good during the, you know, the month of September and October. But, but once, you know, once they got to November, things just started to fall apart. And I don't know if that's player development and strength and conditioning and how they got to the point or Kevin someone just couldn't win the big game when it came to November to get over the hump. But, but if you bring in Jimbo Fisher in there just to, like you said, win yourself one or, or maybe two more games, then you're not accomplishing anything. Texas A&M fans, if they're going to shell out this kind of money, the boosters are, they want results immediately. You know, they, they want, they want Dabo type results immediately. And, and I just don't, I honestly don't think Jimbo can get them there. I don't That's either. That's just me. I just, I look at what he had at Florida State. If you don't have Jameis Winston, you don't win a national championship. And I know that's saying, well, if you don't have a quarterback, but, but what I'm getting at is the way Jameis and the year he came in and, um, you know, his freshman status. I just, I look at it all and I say, they've got some talent at LSU. Travion Williams is going to be one hell of a running back in the SEC this year. They've got themselves a quarterback to start with. I just don't. I, I look at this ball club and I don't think they're going to win any more than nine games this year, maybe eight games. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you're looking for a college football appearance or at least get to Atlanta, then you got to do it within the first three years or people are going to start becoming restless. And, and that, uh, I hope he's got himself a nice guaranteed, uh, salary or, or, or lump sum payment that he'd get because I just, I don't see it, Jason. I'm kind of there along with you, buddy. Trey, congrats on the new gig. Congrats on man, how well too, it's going, brother. brother, man. It's it's really good to, to catch up with you this fast. I hope we do it a lot. Uh, all the success in the world. Great stuff. Have a great weekend, buddy. Man, I appreciate it. It's I'm, I'm so proud of you and, and what you've accomplished and uh, the, the show you now have at 104.5 The Zone, which um, you've got a great boss there, and Brad Willis, and, and everybody involved at that station is fantastic. And uh, all the congrats to you, man, and uh, I look forward to having you on. It's optional here in Knoxville. I appreciate it, Trey. Have yourself a good weekend, and you guys have yourselves a good weekend as well. That's it for the Big Six. I told you we are going to talk a lot of SEC ball tonight, and we did. I'm Jason Martin. We'll see you on Monday back here on The Zone. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless, and good night.